the uh, books of First and Second Timothy and Titus uh, are really some foundational books. That's why we titled the evening services uh, Foundations, uh, some things in which we can build our lives upon. And certainly the work and the church are built upon a lot of the uh, doctrine that you find here, the principles that you find here. Uh, this evening, we're going to look at verses 9 through 15, and uh, I titled tonight's message, Order in the Church, and I'm certain that <coughs> many of you have heard messages preached out of here. Uh, sometimes uh, what I have to share with you is a lot of times when I've heard preaching come out of here, I call it soapbox preaching, and a lot of times I'll get on a soapbox and I'll just start riding that thing so hard, and yet uh, without really studying out uh, what these words mean and, and what Paul was really trying to communicate. Uh, the subject matter are women in the church, and so we're going to talk about order in the church, but I want you to look at verse 9, and we'll read on through verse 15. The Bible says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works." Let the women uh, learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your goodness. I ask that you would just use your word tonight to encourage hearts. And Lord, certainly we want to be a people that, uh, Father, not only uh, read your word, but Lord, adhere to it, do what it says. And uh, Father, help us as we read through the scriptures. And I pray for the churches today, Lord, that many of them are pulling away from truths and uh, Lord, uh, going in the ways in which they think they ought to go rather than uh, holding true to the scriptures. And so, Father, I just ask now that you'd bless this evening. Use your word and encourage our hearts. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all of your grace and your goodness. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this is a message from Paul to Timothy about keeping order in the local church. And this is guided by the principle found in 1 Corinthians 14.40. And that's really the thrust of the entire book. And uh, we know the passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 14.40. Let all things be done decently and in order. And at this time, Paul was addressing a newfound liberty that the women who were saved now had, and that was a voice among the men in the uh, area in which they were there in, in, the, in, in that time and in that era. Uh, they had found a voice, but it had become to the point where in the services it had become disruptive. And we know some things uh, historically that took place, but we know that Paul was uh, addressing the idea of not being disruptive in the services. Uh, when I was in Colonial Beach, uh, my family recalls this, and uh, we were holding services. We had about 90 or so in a, in a, in a small church building. It probably was only about this size uh, when I first went down there. And so uh, we were kind of packed out that morning, and I don't want to name her name, but uh, she felt the need to be disruptive often, and, uh, and she would just outwardly uh, ask questions in the middle of the service, and uh, there were just things that she would do were just odd, and she would embarrass her, her, uh, her uh, grandparents, and that's who was there with her, and she, she would just do this, and a lot of times she would wait until the service started, and then she would come in, and the couple usually set up toward the front, and, and she would make her way, I'll give you her first name, it was Dana, so I can tell the story a little easier, and Dana would just make her way into the service, and 
she was very abrupt and very noisy and coming into the service and she would sit down and then she'd start talking to her grandfather while I was preaching. And, uh, and it was very disruptive. And so, you know, finally I talked to the grandfather and I said, you know, we're going to at least have to have a conversation because this was not something she did once. This was something she consistently did. And so it had to stop. It had to cease. Well, Paul was kind of dealing with something like this, and it had become disruptive to the assembling of the people for worship. You know, and if, if the very passages that I just read to you in today's feminist movement, these are like fighting words. And, uh, but uh, what Paul shares in the Word of God, uh, he's trying to help us see the need for uh, things being done decently and in order. And remember this, when you read the Scriptures, a lot of people say, well, Paul was just chauvinistic. Paul was not the author. Amen? How many of you realize that? Paul was not the author. God was the author. Paul was used to pen these words. And so, uh, remember, Paul's not the author, but the penman of the word, and therefore this message is not from Paul. It's really from the Lord. Amen? It's not from what Paul thought. Paul was simply writing down what God had led him to write down. Now, here's the question that I have, and you know, ladies, specifically for you tonight, I just want you to think about this. Are you fulfilling your role biblically by doing all things decently and in order according to the Scriptures? And so we'll see what we mean by that in just a moment. But are you fulfilling your role biblically? Now, the subject Paul is addressing is that of submission of the women at the local body of believers. And we're to recognize that the Lord always has an order to all that He performs. When you look in the Scriptures, God has an order to things. If you look at creation, there's an order to it, is there not? There's things set up. When you look at the local church, God had specific things that he set up the local church to do, and he set it up, and he gave an order to things. And, and so whenever you look at the scriptures, God was not a God of disorder. He was a God of order. When he told them to build the tabernacle, did he not give them the details of how to build the tabernacle? When he told them to build the temple, did he not give them details of how to build the temple? Uh, God is a God of order. And so in so sharing that with you, we have to recognize that he is a God of order. And all that he performs, he does in order. And, and I think, uh, likewise, he expects the same from us. I think he expects us to do things decently and in order. And so I think there's three lessons to be learned about women and order in the local church. One of the things that he addresses is the subject matter of modest dress. And so he deals with the subject matter of being modestly uh, in your dress. He then deals with the subject of godly works, and the latter part of this, he's dealing with respecting authority. So let's look at this first one when he says in verse 9 here, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, what you have to remember is, is this is a lesson on dressing modestly. When you look at the history of this, if you went to Ephesus, this was a big commercial city. It would be like going into Washington, D.C. today. Uh, but it was a very commercial area. And this was wealthy. And, and history reveals to us that many of the women competed for attention, for popularity. Now, has that changed today? You can say amen, right? <laughs> that hasn't changed. I mean, people, and especially women, vie for attention and popularity. Now they do it through Facebook, and they do it through Snapchat, and they do it through uh, uh, whatever other means they get, uh, can try to get it accomplished, but they do it nonetheless. And it indicates historically that expensive hair and costly jewelry were accepted, and it was an accepted way to get noticed and even to climb the social status ladder. When I, walked, when I worked in Washington, D.C., I was always shocked at, uh, you know, if you'd go to a function, how 
I always believed that the women dressed to impress the other ladies in the room and not the guys. They always tried to outdo one another. Uh, and, and you would see that taking place. Now, what Paul challenged the Christian women to do was to major on something. And when we get into this, you'll see. He wanted them to major on the inner person, not just an outward appearance. And the beauty that only Christ can give unto a woman. And I think that's what he's really driving at, is not just this outward appearance of things, but that inner beauty that only Christ could give. And this is what he's talking about. Now, the Bible is contrasting the false attraction of the world with the beauty of a godly life. And so there is this idea that uh, beauty is what really uh, holds, and that's what everybody cares about. But I'll, I'll be truthful with you. I mean, beauty only goes so far, amen? How many of you have met some pretty people that are pretty ugly? And, uh, and, and they are pretty on the outside, but man, personality-wise, I mean, it is just as good as the toilet water, you know what I mean? And, uh, and you look at them and you think, I just don't like you because you are a very unkind person. No matter what that outward beauty might present, uh, it can have an inward, uh, an outward ugliness because of the way they behave. Now, this wasn't forbidding the women to use jewels or nice clothing, but excessive use of them as a substitute for the true beauty of a meek or a quiet spirit. And Peter talks about a meek and quiet spirit. He deals with it. Uh, <coughs> if you go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6, he deals with that meek and quiet spirit. Now, this woman, Dana, that I shared with you, that was not part of her personality. Uh, how would I describe it? Boisterous. How would I describe it? Obnoxious. How would I describe it? Very disruptive. Uh, those were the things. Now, if pastor were having those thoughts, I wonder what everybody else out there was thinking. And, like, and, and generally, they looked at me like, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> and so you have to put a stop to it. And, uh, and so, you know, you have to be careful about that. And I, I want to share this thought with you. When any woman depends on externals, just the externals, eventually you're going to run out of ammunition. You're just going to run out of ammunition. And when you do, when you, you, you'll, you'll only attract so much attention. Uh, Pastor Nichols used to tell this story. And uh, when he was up in Clinton, he was over the teen group there. And it was an amazing thing. And, and of course, the, they had cheerleaders for them. And, and these cheerleaders dressed pretty conservatively that came from up there at Clinton. And, uh, and so uh, they all decided they were going to stop at McDonald's. Well, there was another bus there from a local school. <laughs> And the amazing thing was, is as soon as this school bus pulled up and these conservative girls got off this bus, all of a sudden, all the guys that were over here talking to the ones that had the wrong kind of ammunition going on gravitated over here. Pastor Nichols had to take them off of them and say, listen, you need to go back over there with your crowd. And the thing of it was is I want you to understand this, ladies. Outward beauty and the wrong kind of ammunition only lasts for so long. And what happens is, is whenever you're trying to put that outward thing out there that way, it doesn't work. And it'll fade, it'll fail, and it'll fall. And I believe this with all my heart because it will not bring forth what I call lasting affection. It'll bring attention for a while, but it will not bring lasting affection. And I think a lot of times that that really is the desire of the heart is to have that affection and not really just attention. And now, the word modest... I've heard this described. I've done my homework, and I know what the Greek stands for. And the word modest means decently and in order. And so whenever he says that the woman adorn themselves in modest apparel, things that are decent, things that are orderly, 
Uh, you know, and so when he brings this subject up, uh, we, we get our English word cosmetic from this word. And it, it passes down through because it, it goes from the Greek to the, uh, to, uh, to the English. And so we know that, that when it passes through there, and then we get this word cosmetic from it. Now, I used to have a lady in the church <laughs> that used to tell me, hey, listen, pastor, you know, sometimes if the barn needs painting, you just got to paint the thing. Amen. <laughs> and sometimes the barn needs painted. And I understand that. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, when that is just to draw attention for themselves, it's the wrong kind of paint, isn't it? And, and so you have to be careful about what you're doing in that arena. Now, the thought then is that women's clothing ought to be decent, orderly, and in good taste. And I believe women ought to dress that way. You shouldn't wear things to draw attention to specific portions of your body. And, and listen, uh, we see a lot of this stuff going on with Harvey Weinstein and all the things that are going on in Hollywood and, and the kind of things that are going on out there. I believe it's twofold, ladies. I do believe that you have a responsibility to dress modestly. Uh, you have that responsibility because you can uh, believe this or not. And you say, well, they just need to get themselves in check. But men are driven by sight more than you realize. And so whenever they see things, they're driven by their sight more than you realize. Now, if the intent is to do that and you're drawing attention instead of affection, that's exactly what you'll get. And so whenever you dress for that kind of uh, attention, that's exactly the kind of attention that you're going to receive. Now, he talks about dressing in good taste, and then Paul brings out the word shamefacedness, which literally means modesty. <laughs> when he talks about shamefacedness, he's talking about modesty or the avoidance of extremes. And so uh, the idea is, is that don't do the extremes. Um, I have a real hard time, you know, we go to try to find dresses for Emily and uh, there's things online that we try to uh, do for her and, and, and get her, uh, you know, uh, modest clothing and those kinds of things. But man, it's getting harder and harder to go find stuff. It just is. I mean, we do more of our shopping at Goodwill than anything because I figure they're all getting rid of it. So I might as well go up there and get it. Amen. And so, but the thing of it is, is that think about how uh, there used to be a time where women would blush or where women uh, might do something like that. And that's going away today. So much so, and I shared this story with you a while back, uh, that even the language that women use and, and the, the way they speak and the way they talk, and, and uh, I was, I was, uh, this was in Colonial Beach. I had my uh, camo on. I would come back from hunting. I was going to uh, Food Line was the name of the shopping center, and so Anita had asked me to stop there, so I stop, and I get out of the car. <laughs> I'm walking over uh, toward the uh, curb there, and a, a, an old Chevy pulled up there, and a couple of young girls got out, and they probably weren't more than maybe 19, maybe. Uh, but, man, did they get out. And when they got out, the language they were using, good gracious. I mean, I thought, good night. If that was my daughter, I'd go up and smack her in the mouth, you know. That's my dad's terms, by the way. I don't smack you in the mouth, no. And, uh, but the thing of it is, is their language that they were using and how they were dressed and how they were speaking. And, and the part that bothered me the most is they said, you better stop. There's an old man behind you. And I turned around and looked. <laughs> I was that guy, <laughs> And the thing of it is, is that shamefacedness has this idea of modesty. And when we're talking about modesty, it's the avoidance of extremes. And therefore, a woman who possesses this quality is ashamed to go beyond the bounds of what is decent or proper. And, and ladies, listen, I don't have to tell you what's decent and proper. You know whenever you're not doing it. <laughs> and, and so whenever you're trying to draw attention in the wrong ma uh, manner or fashion, then he brings up this word sobriety. 
And this word sobriety is soundness of mind. Now, I doubted whether Dana was like that or not because I thought, what is wrong with this person? And then we had another lady uh, which was related to Dana, and it was Dana's mom. And she came in, and guess what her mom was like? Just like her. Her name was Teresa. So Teresa decided she was going to come in. And Teresa decided she was going to be loud and boisterous. And in the middle of services, how many of you ladies would be willing to do this right in the middle of service? I got a question for you. (laughs) Right in the middle of the service. And I'm just sharing with you. This is what Paul was dealing with, this abruptness, this disruptiveness. And he talks about sobriety. Sobriety is not about being drunk or not being drunk. It's about soundness of mind. Now, if you think about it, soundness of mind and self-control, when you're... um, Sober, you should have that. When you're drunk, you don't. Well, Paul knew he wasn't talking about them being drunk. He was talking about them being in their right mind. And so when he brings up this idea of being sober or this sobriety, it's soundness of mind and self-control. This is describing an inner self-control or what you might call a spiritual radar, discerning what is good and what is proper. And so it just exists. One of the things I love about my wife is she was always... Uh, very helpful to me. I had a, a lady in the church at one point, and uh, she was what I call a close talker. You know what I mean? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever have a close talker? Someone that gets up a little too close to you? And, uh, and I'm not being unkind and, and, and just how she carried herself, but when she would come and talk to me, she wanted to get so close to talk to me. And I, and, and I was leaning against the wall one day, and you talk about discomfort at one point, you know what I mean? You're like up and back as far as you can get, and I'm doing this. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to work. And so finally I told Anita, I said, listen, when we go in the back, I said, I need you to stand there. And when she comes, I just need you to step in front of me. Can you do that for me? She said, love to. Solve the problem? <laughs> she never did it again. And the thing of it is, is that uh, what it is, is that that's just not using discernment. That's just not proper. Are you with me? So be careful about those kinds of things. Be sure and fulfill your role, ladies, biblically, doing things decently and in order to please the Lord, and specifically in your dress, and you know uh, what is proper. Now, the Lord wants that woman to be actively involved in the ministry, too. And the second lesson here is about godly works. If you look at verse 10, he said, "...but which becometh women professing godliness with good works." And so the second lesson is godly works, and, and, and I want you to think about this for a moment. This message to Timothy was read to the congregation. It was never to suggest that good works is a substitute for clothing. It's not. Uh, but Paul was, in fact, contrasting the inferior quality of what I would say was the uh, expensive clothing and jewelry with what is of true value. What is of true value? Well, godly character is of true value. I shared the story with you. Um, one of the most godly women that I believed I'd known, her name was Sharon Zwicker, and she went home to be with the Lord. She was just driving home from church one night and, and got T-boned, and uh, it was one of my deacon's uh, wives, and uh, we, had just, we were holding what we hosted, we called Family Week, and uh, we had had a big picnic on the grounds that day, and I remember Sharon leaving, and she said, Pastor, I'll see you tonight. I said, I'll see you tonight, Sharon, and I never saw her alive again. She left that afternoon and was killed that afternoon. And she was going down to the shop where Morgan's place is called Pine Hill Towing. And, and yet this lady uh, was not about the expensive clothing and the expensive jewelry. But there was a beauty about her that was unbelievable. 
And it was that she was just real and genuine. And what she did, she didn't want announcements made about it. She just wanted to serve the Lord. Uh, one of the things I had the pleasure of doing, uh, I preached her funeral and I found her Bible in the back of our church and I have no idea why because Sharon never left her Bible behind. And the amazing thing was, is when I started going through that Bible, she said, pastor preached this out of so-and-so and he said, we should do this. I'm not doing that. I should be doing this. I'm not joking. And there was just hordes and hordes of things that she had written down in her Bible that these are things I should be doing and these are things that I should not be doing and uh, I'm guilty of this and I need to stop. And <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. And when I went to preach her funeral, it was so easy to preach her funeral because she was a saved woman and because she was a godly woman. And the, th the idea is there's an inferior quality to expensive clothing and jewelry, but there's some true value about godly character and Christian service. And so Paul's dealing with this and no one should underestimate the importance of godly women. And ladies, I want to tell you, there is nothing, nothing like a godly woman. A godly woman is amazing to me. And godly women have character. And godly women do some things. And they work in the local church ministry. And godly women of Paul's day had an impact on the gospel message. And I want you to know, when you're a godly woman, God uses your life in an amazing way to help preach the gospel in a way you would never even imagine. And but I believe uh, we can look, and, and when you look in the scriptures, you find out that, you know, women had a low place in the Roman Empire. I mean, they, they, they were not important. But I, I began to think in the Roman world, the gospel changed all of that for the Christian women. And so consider some of the godly women that the Lord used. You can write these down. We don't have to turn to all of these. Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. I'm not going to read all the entire verse, but it says, In certain women, Mary called Magdalene. You say, wait a minute, wasn't she a prostitute? Yes, but did God not save that woman and she become a godly woman? And think about this for just a moment. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, Herod Stewart, listen to this, and Susanna and many others. Now, what did they do? Which ministered unto him of their substance. They ministered to who? Jesus Christ. And I, I just want you to think about this. Remember Dorcas in Acts 9.36, Tabitha. And the Bible says, Now there was a, at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Listen, there was something specific. Now I want to tell you something. When God writes someone's name down in the scriptures, huh? that's a memorial to that person. There was something special about Dorcas, wasn't there? There was something special about Tabitha. There was something very special about these people, and God chose to write these ladies' names down. Lydia in Acts 16, 14, and 15. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, <laughs> I love that, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household... She sought, besought us, saying, if, uh, ye, uh, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. What did she do? She wanted to minister to these people whom led her to the Lord. Uh, the Bible talks about Priscilla in Acts 18, 1 through 3. And then he talks about godly women in Berea and Thessalonica in Acts 17, 4 and 12. And then Paul greeted at least eight women in Romans 16. And, and included in that Phoebe. 
And, and I believe a godly woman can have a great effect on others. And we know that when we read this particular book of Timothy, were there not two women that had an effect on Timothy? And you think about Lois and Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. They had a tremendous effect on Timothy. And I share with you tonight my testimony. Part of my testimony is, is I believe my grandmother prayed for me. I believe my grandmother had the most influence on my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe she not only prayed for me, but that woman took me to church. And she made sure that I knew who Jesus Christ was. And I can tell you, I got away from God in my teen years, but I can promise you this, that woman never stopped praying for me. I remember telling her at one point that I believed there was something, and I told her that I was agnostic, and that she had an ability to pinch that I can't even explain to you. And I'll never forget her pinching my ear to the point where I dropped to my knees and begged her to let go, and she said, you just tell me that Jesus is real, and I'll let go of your ear. Now, was it the right thing to do? I don't know, but I'm preaching today, amen? And the thing of it is, is that I had a grandmother who loved me. I had a grandmother who prayed for me. I had a grandmother who did those things. I had a grandmother, when I would sit in church, she would open that Bible and lay it on my lap. I didn't understand a thing. But I had a grandmother who did. And she kept after me. And I, I want to share with you, a godly woman can have a great effect on others. And we know what effect Lois and Eunice had on Timothy because we're looking here and Paul calls him my son in the Lord. He, he, he refers to him in such an such a, uh, honorable way and in, in such a passionate way. And, and we see how that effect uh, was in Timothy's life. And you see the gospel message had a tremendous impact on many women and it affirmed their value before God. And there was an equality for them in the body of Christ now. Turn to uh, Galatians 3.28. I want you to see this. Galatians 3.28. You imagine that these women were aware of this, and here's what it says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in who? Christ Jesus. So what Paul was dealing with, he was kind of admonishing these women and he was saying to them, hey, listen, uh, it's not your place to speak up and disrupt the services. And so we know in Corinthians, he kind of gives us an order to things, but here he begins on the subject of this silence. And so when a woman fulfills her role scripturally, she can have an impact on many for Christ in the gospel. And that inner character displayed openly for others to see, and they show their good works, and then that's fulfilling the Scriptures. And what Scripture is it fulfilling? Well, in Matthew 5, 16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when Paul says, But which becometh women professing godliness with good works, he's talking about the fact that these women uh, have this godly character and they let it be seen. And a godly woman will show forth that godly character for the glory of God. And the last thought is this. All are called to have a reverence toward the leadership God provides. And so in verses 11 through 15, it says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed than Eve, and then Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. And there's that self-control again, that self uh, having control over self and sound mind. Now, the third lesson is respecting authority. 
And so the following verses are dealing with a specific problem that had arisen among the women. Some of the women with their newfound liberty in Christ felt that it was okay to not be peaceable in the service. And so when we look at his here, the word silence, uh, when, when he says silence, he's talking about be peaceable in the services. And, and the idea is, is when you look that up, it's a bringing forth peace or being peaceable. This isn't the word subjugation or to have dominance and control over someone. That's not the word. That's not what God's talking about here. And so it's not a matter of bringing someone into dominance or under control, but about conduct or behavior that's expected out of the women in the worship service. And so some of the women, through their freedom in Christ, started disrupting the services and interrupting. And so this is what Paul's admonishing them for, is that behavior. Their liberty was not to be uh, uh, used in in a disorderly fashion, but it was supposed to be used in an orderly fashion. And so this is what he's dealing with. And now there's nothing wrong with a woman speaking to a man or leadership and even providing instruction, but it's not to assume authority over them in the church. And so when we look at this and it says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection, it's to do it peaceably, not, not disorderly. And, and then he goes on and he says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. That has to do with pastoral authority. That has to do with taking over leadership inside the church. And so he's dealing with that subject, and he's letting the women know that's not a role that you take on. That's not a role or a position that you take. And there's nothing wrong with women speaking up, but listen, uh, being willing to help and, and listen to the authority in the church. Now, we can take away from Acts 18.26, and I can show you this in the Scriptures. Whenever Alexandria was out and he was preaching, and he kind of had some things that he was dealing with, and Aquila and Priscilla come up along beside of him, but you see where it says, and they expounded the word of God unto him. Now that word they means both Aquila and Priscilla did that, that they spoke to this Alexandria, and they did it in a private forum. And it's not that women are not to teach, because if you go to Titus chapter 2, what does it tell you? That you ladies are supposed to be teaching the younger, are you not? And so there's not any contradiction in the scriptures. It has the idea of uh, maintaining peace or being peaceable in the services and not to be disruptive is the idea. Now, he also deals with the order that God had set for man and women and how when Adam submitted to his wife, knowing what God had established as uh, an order, what did he do? Well, he plunged mankind into sin. (laughs) And, And why? The woman Eve was deceived, and Satan deceived the woman into sinning in Genesis 3, 1 and 2, and in first, or 2 Corinthians you see that. But the man sinned with his eyes wide open. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing, and he allowed his wife to do this. Because Adam rejected his God-given order, he listened to his wife and disobeyed God and brought sin and death into the world. And fellows, listen to me. We need to listen to our wives. And there are times where they're giving us input, and it's not that they're in uh, submission in the sense of I'm dominant over you and I'm over-controlling you. The reality of it is is that I want my wife's input. I want to know what she thinks. Now, ultimately, a decision has to be made, but the fact is is I really want to know, and does she influence decisions I make? Absolutely she does, but if I'm being led of God and not my own spirit, are you with me now? (laughs) Not my own spirit. If I'm being led of God, I'm going to share with her that I believe this is what God wants me to do, and therefore I'm going to follow through on it. And usually that submission follows. Not always, but usually it follows. But then there are those times where when that's out of order, and we just say, well, you just tell me what you want to do. 
And how many husbands get to that place where they get flustered or frustrated with their wives? And, and, and instead of really talking to them or listening to them, and, and we just get flustered, we're not really listening to our wives, and yet God desires for us to do that. And Adam rejected his God-given order, and he listened to his wife. Now, when I say that, he listened to his wife, but he disobeyed God. Are you with me? He could have obeyed God and told his wife, listen, God told us to stay away from that tree. Couldn't he have done that? I mean, clearly, he could have made a better decision for his family. Clearly, he could have done something that was much wiser than just... And, and what Adam did, he went off of probably emotion, <laughs> I don't want to upset Eve tonight, you know, I want to eat dinner. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know what it was, and, but he allowed all of mankind to be plunged into sin as a result of it. Now, the submission of wives to their own husbands is part of the original creation. And the disorder we have in society today results uh, from a violation of that God-given order. And I think a lot of difficulties that we face today are just because of that. Things are out of order in a lot of homes. There are a lot of women who run the house rather than allowing the husband be the head of the household. And, and listen, I shared this in my Sunday school class, and you can, you can watch for yourselves. If you watch any programs on, on TV, they try to dumb down the men. They're stupid. They can't think, and so the wife has to do everything because the man doesn't have an ability to think. And if it weren't for her, he would be able to do nothing. He couldn't function. He wouldn't even know whether to go to the bathroom or not. And so they try to produce that kind of an environment for us. But the thing of it is, Paul laid down some general principles that encouraged the believing women of that day that their ministry was not to run the church, but to care for the home and bear children to the glory of God. Now you say, Pastor, why would you say it? Because that's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 5.14, go read it. And so God says, here's kind of what your role, your responsibility is. And we've got a lot of things backwards today. That's why I said if I were to preach this in a group of feminists, I'd probably get shot. But the fact is, is that God does have an order to things. Now, their home, and I just want you to think about this, ladies, is kind of like your congregation. And the home congregation would give you abundant opportunities for teaching the Word and ministering to the saints. If you go read Romans 1, uh, 16, 1 through 6, you'll see. But listen, nothing, nothing, ladies, I can't imagine when you stand before God and you've raised children and you've taught them to love the Lord, I cannot imagine God's not pleased with that. I can't for the life of me think of anything more noble than to raise your children and to teach them the Word of God. I can't imagine you doing anything more important than that. And the Bible clearly says, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Amen? And, and what more of a godly thing could you do than to raise godly children? And, and I can't imagine something more noble. I can't imagine those women who have done that, and when they stand before God, I have no doubt in my mind these words are going to come across my Savior's lip. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> because you did exactly what God wanted you to do. And so when we look to the Scriptures, godly women do have an important role in the ministry in the local assembly, even though they are not called to be teachers of the Word in a pastoral sense, but they are to teach. They're to teach at their homes, and they're to teach the younger women. And listen, you're teaching children in the church. Sometimes you have these classes or what have you. But listen, there is opportunity to be used of God. Now the thought on this saved in childbearing was the birth of Christ. I believe that with all my heart. 
notwithstanding, shall be saved in childbearing. We know that Eve, uh, the, the, the line of Christ, came uh, through Eve. We know it comes all the way down to that. We know it does. And so we see the line of Christ coming forward. But perhaps that woman's greatest achievement is found in her devotion to her divine ordained role. And you think about God having ordained that role, the, the, the wife, the responsibility that she has. And I want to tell you something, ladies. I, I watch my wife, and she helps me manage that house. And I, I mean, I know the things, and you know the things that you have to do. But I am so grateful for my wife, the way she manages things. And, and she helps in that household. And when God talks about a helpmeet, I can look to my wife, Anita, and say, that is my helpmeet. I know she is. I know what she takes care of. I know the things that she does. And I'm grateful for her. But the key is to help her husband and to bear children and to follow Christ faithfully and live a spiritually discerned way of life is the idea. God talks about a chaste life. He's talking about a life devoted to doing the things that God's called you to do. Now consider your biblical role, doing all things decently and in order according to the Scriptures. And why would you do that, Pastor? Well, to please the Lord. <laughs> Not to please me, but to please the Lord. So ask yourself tonight, specifically, ladies, are you fulfilling your role biblically? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all of your grace and for your goodness.